Hello and welcome to One Throw at a Time, a player's perspective on the game that builds and breaks our hearts. My name is Johnny Mox, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, co-conspirator, and co-podcaster, you know, podcaster, Rowan McDonald. Rowan, how are you doing today? I'm feeling a little sad today, Johnny. You know, we had a very tough game. Uh, I just want to be honest to all of our listeners. I, I normally start with a, with a very happy tone. Everything's good, but just a little sad for the loss on New York. Um, yeah, so that's that's where we're at right now. Yeah, it was a rough game. Um, I was texting Tyler Monroe earlier today. We were talking a little bit about, you know, the team culture this year and playing in the AUDL. And we were both saying, like, well, I at one point in the conversation said, like, on Saturday night after the game, I was, like, full-on despondent. Like, could not think a happy thought. So that was a sad night, but we got better as the as the weekend went on. A little Mother's Day celebration with my mom on Sunday, did some gardening. That was nice, but certainly not a fun one to end on. It was fun during. It was a fun battle. It was fun. Um, but it was a tough ending. Uh, definitely we were involved. I threw a bad throw, and, uh, we were kind and of Babbitt came over the top and uh, of you a little bit, and... Uh, that'll do it. So we, uh, we it could it could be seen as our fault, but it's a it's a game full of moments, Rowan. So you our can't blame it all on our us. listeners. Already know that while yes, we were both involved in the fateful last play. We're we believe in more than just one play makes a game. Yeah, one play doesn't make a game, but certainly when you do the bad one play at the end of the game, it's really <gasps> hard to believe that. So it's <laughs> some processing was done. The Def- only the yeah. only thing I would rec- um, recommend to our listeners is the only thing worse than making the the a bad play at the end of the game is a bad play at the end of the first half because in the national championship when I got skied by Calvin they put that replay on ten times in a row um, but if you make a bad play at the end of the game it's on to the interview so yeah and they like cut to the confetti. yeah so I've been I've been in both and just don't make the bad play at the end of halftime. End of the game, nobody remembers. Yeah, well, I guess yeah, it depends on how. If you're thinking of it with mental state, we can't guarantee either will be very good. But if you're thinking of it in terms of, you know, what will be remembered or what will be shown on the live stream, yeah. then take Rowan's advice. Um, certainly a tough ending to that one. Rowan, what were your thoughts kind of leading up to it during the game afterward? Anything you want to share with the listeners? Yeah, the the post thoughts. I like Johnny was just very very despondent as well. Um, it's tough when you go to D line because you want to have like your fingerprints on a game or to make a difference. Two plays down the stretch, like you don't get that many shots, and there was one when we were up one with a minute and thirty left, and I. Yacht slashed across the field, and I just had a great read on it and just got a middle finger on the disc, and he made a great catch, and they scored. And then all game long, I was sitting on Oliver Chartok's low-release backhand. At halftime, I'm talking to the three players who are guarding him. We kind of have a three-line rotation, and I'm like, he's throwing this low-release half-pivot backhand. Sit on it, sit on it. So I finally get it in overtime and I do my open side layout and I get a piece. I never get hand blocks and it still gets to the receiver. But those moments, like you just don't get a lot on defense and having two shots and coming away with neither of those, which honestly both could have swayed the game was just truly heartbreaking. It's like, damn, it's hard. Um, so lost a little bit of confidence, but we'll be back. 
That's the case for sure. Um, I definitely like thought I had an awful game after making that last mistake, but looking back and watching film, I thought I did some good stuff too. And I think that uh, overall, uh, the O line got some kind of trial by fire in that game where uh, we were able to get a little bit closer. I almost like to think about it as like uh, the the Earth's crust, you know, hmm, where never if you're thinking geology, you got like a lot weighing down and then it compresses to this molten core in the middle of the Earth. And so now the O-line is the molten core, so you better watch out at practice tomorrow, Rowan. Yeah, but, but what about this, Johnny? Let me flip that. Light numbers in Toronto, including oh, some O-liners. Well. Dude, I think I'm coming back. Well, yeah, I think... Can I, I, I be mean, part of the molten core? If we're moving forward, you're going to be part of the molten core because moving forward this week, we're going to have like 18, 19 in Toronto. We're going to be running We're going to be running deep in the hotel. I'd be, I'd be surprised if six people made it on that initial flight. People are going to be scrambling for flights all day. It's going to be a classic trip. But you know what, Rowan? That's the magic of Ultimate. You just show up and play, baby, and that's what's we all about. We are in the best era of Ultimate Frisbee. It's the wild, wild west. You know, it's like it's not quite there yet as that first-class chartered plane ride. You know, you might have a coach or a couple players miss a flight, and yeah, we, we might be there with 14, but we're going to give it our all, and sometimes those games are, are the most fun. Yeah, and certainly to watch. So definitely tune in if you got that AUDL TV because it's gonna be a it's gonna be kind of vintage breeze. It's gonna be you're gonna see Stephen Morton be out there. You're gonna see some rowing on O line. Oh it's gonna goodness. be a classic time. So tune in. Um, one thing that I took away from the uh, New York game was that I kind of brought into the truck stop trial last night that we had was like just becoming more open on the field not open in the sense of hey i'm open but more like leaving my mind and heart a little bit more open and realizing that i can play just as well when i'm like my happy-go-lucky self as when pretty much as when i'm like the most intense version of myself and i find that i'm way more resilient when i'm just having fun on the field so much easier said than done, but sometimes it takes that trial by fire, that molten core at the center of the O-line, but also oneself to get down to that simple truth. And so I think I, I think you might be seeing me trying to have a little more fun, Rowan. We'll so we might see you trying to um, water bottle flip full Nalgene's for 30 minutes with a dab in between and, and nailing one out of 60. Is, is that what we're saying? Yeah. And the key, the key there is that the dab has to come <laughs> well before you see the result of the bottle flip and has to remain for a full three seconds. So it's a long process. I mean, that's the thing. It's like sometimes when you're having fun in sports, it makes a grind. It makes a long process seem more fluid and well, more in flow. Dare I say, that is the vintage Johnny Mox that DC's come to love. Have you noticed this year you've been on like less happy-go-lucky and fun? I think it hasn't been just this year. It's kind of been like over a period of a couple years where like in 2021, that special season with the Breeze, I was just coming back from like playing for the first time without my knee brace on and I was just like 
kind of in a position where I was thinking, you know, whatever happens this season, as long as I don't get hurt, like I'm happy with it. And that led to like a very good season for uh, me as, as an individual and us as a team. And then 2022, I came in with more expectations for Breeze. It didn't go as well. I thought for me individually, we still had a great season. Um, and then truck stop was kind of a, a place where I found a little bit more balance. And then in 2023 Breeze, I think I have been a little bit more, um, I mean, like less silly, yes, but I don't think that's just because of my approach to the game. I think it's also just been because of where my mental state has been with like a lot of stuff going on outside of Ultimate. And yeah. so it's uh, it's an interesting thing to try to tap back into, especially like you said, after it's something that maybe, you know, I've done in the past well, or that people have seen me do in the past well. And I think that that's something that has always been an interesting identity thing for me as like an ultimate player, but more just like as a person, like as an individual, I consider myself like sometimes not a super silly person. So it's interesting to be in ultimate circles and be like the silly guy, you know, and be labeled as that. Sometimes it can be hard to be put in that kind of box. Um, But then additionally, when I give myself over completely to the like, uh, I'm an intense, cool guy, you know, there's a, there's an epidemic in ultimate of coolness. We've talked about this before and yeah. you can't, you can't get in there and be like, I'm the best. That's just not how it works. You got to remain open. And silly. I mean, you, you drew a crowd to that bottle flip competition. You know, there was 10 people around you. And I think the team does appreciate when you do, you know, those goofy, silly things. But yeah. you're still a killer on the field and you can be both. Yeah, and I, I just think like it doesn't have to be the the swing like it doesn't have to be a mutually exclusive thing. Yeah, like you can be excited and intense and also silly. And I think that like it's it's the sort of thing that doesn't detract from my game. It might detract from some others, but it's the sort of thing that just helps me remain open and sort of let the game wash over me. So one of the things that that New York game did is certainly made me a more dangerous fun threat on the field that's not good when johnny's having fun o-line's gonna have some fun Fun. and yeah i mean y'all look so much better uh that game so yeah so we'll take a peek bro anything uh anything else you wanted to say about the the new york matchup uh or moving forward into toronto this weekend anything you're looking forward to there no i um i am i think i think i'm looking a little bit forward to playing some offense just to hang with the friends you know, I love I love defense this year, and that's definitely where where I'll be. But you know, last year's game in Toronto is one of the funnest games of the season. Where you know we were like, oh, they're a bunch of these young kids, and we showed up and they were ready to play, and we had to claw back and barely win by one. So yeah, looking to, looking forward towards uh, towards a good game, and we'll see what happens if we're down a few players. Yeah, I think for me, I'm really looking forward to um, like last night at the truck tryout was probably one of the most fun little sessions of Ultimate I've had in a while because I was trying to remain open like that. I'm looking forward to trying to maintain that attitude in a situation that might seem a little bit more intense from like an expectation standpoint. Um, And we'll see how that goes. We'll all definitely check in and uh, let the listeners and you know how how that went. Well, yeah, and it's kind of cool that you have like, you know, that little personal goal. I think that's super important for everybody going into games and stuff. If you just go in blind, you know, you might not be able to grow as much as 
you know, a, a goal. And I think for me, now that you say it, I think one of my goals is to get a confidence back a little bit. You lose some confidence playing defense, I feel, just because the other team scores on you a lot or, you know, you miss those plays in the fourth and overtime like I did. So, you know, I'm not going to go out of the system or do anything greedy, but I'm, I think I'm going to go for I'll get my confidence back. So I might be, uh, I don't know, I might just go for it. We love it. Um, what about outside of the uh, AUDL playing uh, and the truck stop tryout? How are you doing? Any training that's been going on that has been fun? How's your life going? I know you're probably not uh, coaching as much now that the college season's wrapped up. So what are you doing with that extra time? Yeah, a little bit. Just kind of cleaning out my schedule this year and getting the summer schedule ready. But I definitely have some trips lined up too. Um, the Roxbury region, stretching from Connecticut, New Hampshire, and Maine. So I'll be going up there a few times. Um, I still haven't disc golfed. It's you know I I before the season I was like I'm gonna do both this year and now nah, ultimate's just you know here. Um, but yeah, just some more time with some family. Hosted my mom this past weekend for Mother's Day, and yeah, just working on the big Excel Ultimate um, projects. There's a couple of new products we've talked about here that are coming out soon can't give too many hints away but yeah just trying to put my life's work together and give more content to the world sweet love that mission speaking of that mission last week we launched our patreon it is patreon.com slash one throw pod we've got some good tiers on there they are named after ultimate related things it's very exciting you get some different stuff when you subscribe and become a member, a member of the One Throw community. Officially, you're all members, but yeah, of officially course. on the Patreon, it's exciting. So if you want to support us more directly, head on over to patreon.com slash onethrowpod. You can also follow us on Instagram at onethrowpod. And please do keep sending in your listener questions to onethrowpod at gmail.com. All of those are spelled O-N-E-T-H-R-O-W-P-O-D. Hey folks, Johnny here. When you support One Throw at a Time on Patreon, you give Roan and I the flexibility to bring amazing guests onto the show. We've got a recurring guest that we are so thrilled to welcome back onto the show, Jack Williams, on now with Rowan to discuss the game between the DC Breeze and New York Empire that took place this past Saturday, just as a little addition to the conversation that Rowan and I had at the top of the episode. We are excited to bring back our, our New York Empire sideline reporter, um, and previous <laughs> co-host of the One Throw Pod, Jack Williams. Jack, uh, first thing, let's just let's hear about another DC New York classic. What are your first thoughts on this past weekend? Yeah, man, it's. Uh, I guess my first lot, thoughts are it's just unbelievable that pretty much every game comes down to to one goal, and of, obviously we've been fortunate to be on the upper hand of that a good amount of times now, but. Just like I think after the game, I was chatting with some DC guys, and why why do we even mess around with the first four quarters? We should just just fast forward to a five minute overtime, and just the first five minutes wins because we know it's going to come down to overtime or one point game, tie game with two minutes left, whatever. It's it's always close. Yeah, and I guess with that um, mindset, if you're up, you're up two, maybe three in the second half. 
are you are you expecting the comeback? Are you like, this is the time we're going to close the door? Like, what was those little slip ups in, in the fourth from, from y'all? Yeah, I don't know. We're definitely, I'm definitely not expecting to to slip up, but it it just I never know what happens, and all of a sudden we look up and it's tie game with 90 seconds left or something like that. But I mean, we expect obviously DC is never gonna you're never gonna give up. You're pretty relentless. Uh, the D line does a really good job of putting on pressure from quarter one to quarter four. So we know that you know DC is never gonna fold. Um, you guys always keep up that pressure throughout the entire game, but. Um, yeah, you know, you're never anticipating falling apart, but I know I feel like it's, sure. been the, it's been the rhythm of the past three games where we take an early lead and then you guys creep back, and then luckily we're able to sort of lock in before it's too late. Yeah, no, it's at our side, it's kind of the same thing where it's like you never want to go down, but there's always a chance. And and even outside of DC, New York, I feel like the ADL has just always has some wacky, yeah. crazy ways for teams to to lose the lead, but. Um, y'all got it done any any moment of nerves there i know you were we were tied with 30 seconds with the disc and yeah um was there any any time where you're like "Uh oh or did you know y'all were gonna pull it out the whole time no there were i mean late in game i would say i don't know things are happening too fast really feel nervous but personally there are some moments of nerves just because i was handling for a full game for like the first time in my entire career um, you know, I've, I've handled before, but it's it's different when you're centering, you know, you're the centering pass and centering it up, you know, from quarter one to quarter four and just being behind, you know, it's just a, a very different position. It was more different than I was expecting because I knew coming into the game I was going to handle for the entire game, but I had never really done that before in my career. And so um, it was a little bit more different than I anticipated. And there were some nerves there of like, this feels pretty unfamiliar. Um, and then, yeah, late in game, I was honestly just more tired than I anticipated being um maybe it's just the handler pressure having to deal with that for four quarters but um you know with the adl that turnaround from point to point so quick you get broken once or twice and you got to run back to the line and you got 10 seconds to call you know i'm the one that calls the plays and all that and then we're right back into it so i was more tired than anything else yeah any um you know our our listeners a lot of players you know up and coming any tips on going from or going to a new role and your first time playing that role is against like the arch rival, the top two team in the league. Well, what was that mindset shift and how were you able to just go from front of the stack downfield cutter to like catching pulls and catching centers? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm a big advocate for watching some film. So I definitely, you know, I was replacing Elliot um, for that game who wasn't, who wasn't there for the game. So just sort of watching some film on him and how he kind of goes about doing things in the backfield and um, mostly just sort of trying to identify what our team needs, you know, like um, we have a really strong downfield cutting core. So a lot of the handler roles is just keep the disc moving, um, you know, not do too much um, and just get the field to our second layer or sorry, get the disc to our second layer so that our cutters can go to work. So um, sort of identifying, you know, what is needed uh, depending on what role you're shifting into. And um, that's sort of what I try to do. And, you know, Last week, it really felt like my role was sort of get out of the way, keep the disc moving, get open in the reset space, and uh, kind of keep it simple. Yeah, no, and then, um, another question from kind of our listener base is, I've heard this a few times, where do you go now? Like the the big DC New York game early, and then I saw like some of your other scores this year. They've just been like blowouts. 
how do y'all just maintain like what is the mood in the locker rooms like oh we need to hibernate till later in the season or are you taking each game like it's kill mode like where are y'all at in in terms of a mindset in a league where there's so much variance in the, the talent of the teams you play yeah i think um this team is really good at um working on itself if that makes sense and being being um really focused on uh making ourselves better no matter how we do you know i think the first game we beat philly by 10 and the entire team was pissed and we we're like we look horrible we got so many things we need to work on like we got stuck in these positions on offense and we let too much of this go off on defense and so i think uh you know for better or for worse this team is always frustrated with how we're playing no matter how good we're playing um which is i think a you know i think it is a good thing um that we're never really satisfied so you know whether you know it might not be that we're really hyped up to play a certain opponent um on a certain week but we are really excited for you know i think we get more excited honestly for wednesday night practices where we have a lot of things that we know that we want to go in to work on and luckily you know our defense is top tier and our offense is top tier and we get to really battle on wednesday nights um once a week at practice and um you know we you know, after this DC game, we looked at film and we, you know, picked a handful of things that we know that we really can work on, you know, when we face DC next or face another really down the team next. And um, so that's normally where our focus goes to is, you know, practices and then being able to, you know, take the things from practice and translate it into a game time scenario. Yeah, no, that's perfect. I mean, already on, already on the grind. That's, <laughs> yeah, I was hoping y'all were just like take a nap <laughs> and just no, like I, give up. <laughs> our, our team's yeah. way too aggro for that. I mean, you know, Ryan Osgar will yeah. text me at 1.30 a.m. saying, God, man, I, I suck. We suck. We need to be so much better. And it's like, man, we can't we be happy for 12 hours? And Ryan, you know, a bunch of people on the team yeah. just, uh, you know, can't seem to be satisfied for too long, which again, long-term is a really good thing. But uh, as I get older in age, I, I am taking – Taking the victories and letting that feeling last yeah. a little bit longer. Exactly. But yeah, there's more. There's more to it. Uh, that's what I'm saying. But yeah. no, that, that, that helps. And especially, I'm sure y'all have lofty ambitions. Uh, but yeah, we, we'll see. Uh, I think June, we come up to you. Only one goal differential. So there's this little <laughs> a shot of getting home home field. Yeah, Just definitely. Got to get the win. But last thing, I guess, you know, all the talk, MVP Jeff Babbitt. Like, what is it like seeing him week in, week out? A lot of people just see him on like the ADL highlights, making like amazing plays. But yeah, what's like a little bit of behind the the mystery on Babbitt? Like, what's he like as as a person, a, a teammate, and like how does he do it? Yeah, I, I hate to say it, but Babbitt's just an incredibly nice person and an incredibly <laughs> smart, intelligent player and a great teammate. You know, it's kind of got that perfect package. Um, I think, you know, in my opinion, no one's really even all that close to him physically, uh, at least in the sport of ultimate. Um, I mean, it truly feels like he should be playing something other than NFL. Like, yeah, agreed. like it truly feels like he could walk onto a D1 NFL team or sorry, not D1 college team, maybe NFL, who knows, but yeah, just a, a ridiculous athlete. Um, yeah. I mean, and just like a really soft-spoken, really sweet person um, as a teammate. Um, but yeah, I think something that's underrated with him is his intelligence too. I mean, he's, he's got an incredible mind for the game, incredible vision on defense and knows what he needs to do on offense. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, he gets sometimes underappreciated empire where, I mean, pretty much anytime a disc goes near him, like 
I'm already assuming like if we're on defense and it just goes near him, it's like, okay, I'm already switching to offense. If it just is hanging yeah. in the air, it's no one has a higher catch percentage uh, than, than Babbitt. So um, I take, I think we take that uh, for granted a lot where, you know, any disc that goes near him, we just fully trust that he's going to come down with it, which is a, a pretty enormous luxury to have on a team. So um, yeah, he's got my vote for MVP this year, but uh, you know, <laughs> keep it within the empire. I think it's been in the empire for a few, few years now. Now it's Babbitt's turn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know he went out last year, but it should help his his case if he, you know, yeah. keeps scoring seven goals a game. Yeah. But no, we'll see. We'll see. You'll get yours one of these years. You got to wait your turn, you know, after Jeff. And Not if I'm back there handling, man. Back there handling, you know. Sure. I was a nice – I think it was my first time at uh, just a zero plus minus, which, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's not my year, Amazing. but – yeah, yeah. I, was, I think I was minus one. So yeah. <laughs> our days are over. Our, de- our days are up, bro. Yeah. We're washed. Yeah, I know. It's the future. But thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for giving us some time here on One Throw. We'd love to have you. And I'm sure you'll be back, maybe co hosting or coming back for another game breakdown. But, I cannot wait. That's my, my favorite I, thing to do. Thanks, Jack. Yeah, thanks, Ron. Rowan, we are now going to move on to some shenanigans. Of course, the flagship segment of our pod every week. And Rowan, this is shenanigans that you came up with. Very wanna, rare. Yeah, it is a rare one, but it's a it's a it's a wonderful occasion because they're wildly creative and I love to do them with you. Rowan, tell us what this shenanigans is all about. This shenanigans was born where I was um, realized that we've gotten up to almost 40 episodes. We're going strong, and this has just been a tremendous ride. And I'm like, well, obviously Frisbee is, you know, helping us move forward, talking about, of course, the sport that builds and breaks our hearts. But what other podcast do you think we could have made it to 40 with? So for this episode of Shenanigans, I was thinking – if it wasn't Ultimate Frisbee, if it wasn't one throw at a time, what podcast do you think you could carry through 40 episodes and beyond? And if you could tell us a little bit why that is your niche. Yeah, I think it's a great shenanigans prompt. I do have one question, Ro. Are these pods that we're hosting individuals with other people or are we both on them too? Well, since I didn't clarify before we did a brainstorming session, we will soon find out. Oh, let's do it. I can't wait. You want to go first? Or you I do, to? but I fumbled my paper. <laughs> if we weren't doing one throw at a time, I present one roll at a time. And this is for all of the players that like to play craps at their local casino, even though uh I don't believe in casinos. I think they're horrible, but it's so fun to play and roll those dice. You may have seen dice in our last episode on our Instagram. Those are for Yahtzee, not craps, but one roll at a time is where I explore the ins and outs of both dice games, Yahtzee and craps, talk about fun stories from the casino, major losses, small wins, and also maybe some optimization on how to play Yahtzee. Anyways, I love those games, and I think I could really, you know, talk about that topic in and out and bring you on, bring you up to speed. I'm not sure if you have any experience with either of those two games. Uh, not really. I maybe played Yahtzee when I was like in elementary school, but I definitely don't know about it now. Yeah, we we uh, we play hundreds and hundreds of Yahtzee games over the pandemic. Uh, yeah, probably like five to ten a day for a long time that's pretty exciting and a hates on it our board game enthusiast oh my god he doesn't even have it in his top 10 
It's so. wild. He's got a whole ranking system, though, that I'm sure listeners would be really interested in, so we'll have to get him on. Um, Rowan, you're not going to believe this. One of mine that I wrote down was one roll at a time. No, too. it wasn't. It was. It was. But for Team chemistry, for we're back. For different reasons, Rowan. Okay. Okay, so for my one roll at a time, it's a live play D&D podcast. Wow. Dungeons and Dragons with friends. We could also work on building fun sets for it and doing a little video element where we're wearing like wizard costumes and we could give you a little hat or you could put a little elf ears on with the blonde hair. You'd, you'd be a good elf. And sure. um, the, the key here is that I would try to get folks who have never played before to come play. So it's like one roll at a time. So people are kind of stumbling through it together. And it's like one step at a time, one roll at a time, and it's fun. We could get a lot of ultimate players to do it. I think that would be an interesting niche to explore because a lot of Sub ultimate niche. players are nerds. Like, what if we got a table? Like, imagine this table. Freaking, like... Legends. Like, legends. Like, legends in lore in the D&D and legends of the game. So we got Rowan McDonald. We got Jimmy Mickle. Who else we got? We got Opie Payne. We got freaking... Lily Johnson Claire from Desmond. AU blowing up <laughs> on Reddit Ultimate. Really? Yeah, I told amazing. you she was great. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. So all of these amazing players around one table, and we get them wearing these crazy outfits, playing D&D. It'd be great. One roll at a time. So we've got two ideas Spell for different. one title. Right? Spelled differently. I mean, perfect. It's, it's perfect. Well, what about your next idea? My next idea is something that is going to come into Ultimate Frisbee. It's a... One eggshell at a time. <laughs> we started composting, Samrat and I, and we're very committed. And it's a podcast that explains not only how to compost, but it also explores the story behind it. Did you know compost piles in the winter can just be so hot that they're emitting steam? It's yeah, crazy. It's amazing. There's so many fun facts. Lauren Boyle told me that one. Uh, she's uh, Thomas's partner, living in our house part-time for the season. And just all these cool composting fun facts, a little bit of theory behind it, and just some frequently asked questions. Because we're going to have a DC Breeze sustainability kick where we're going to ask everybody to bring their compost because we got a big one at our house. So do you compost? Do you have any experience? I do compost. Yeah, actually, Arlington County takes the compost and does it municipally, which is great. Um, So I do separate my compost out, put it in the green bin every week, and send it off to the county to be made into beautiful beautiful hummus did you know that hummus is like another word for compost and then it's also the beautiful yummy dip that's the facts we're gonna share on one eggshell at a time and also or maybe it's humus i don't really know it's all hummus. but also another fun thing about how warm it is is they used to use compost and like manure to heat beds in the winter in like gardens in england so like the nobles would have their brick wall garden and they would put like compost and manure underneath like a a thin sheet and then put like little glass domes on top of it and that'd be how they grow their veggies in the winter instead of all this electronic stuff you don't need it who needs it it? rowan a similarly themed podcast chemistry is so strong one root at a time (laughs) a podcast about growing an orchard I'd host with you, of course, and an expert in the field, maybe Russell Wallace. Maybe Russell. But he would definitely be a guest otherwise. And we'd have a rotating cast of guests in addition to us three, orchardists, farmers, etc., to discuss what their dream orchard would be. 
Now, the interesting thing about this one is it's not every person who would have to be growing an orchard for a profit. We could have everyone from farmers who just want some fruit for their families alongside like people in the um, the city who might just whose whose um, dream orchard might just be like an avocado tree in their apartment. We could even if it gets big enough have like famous comedians and actors on to talk about what they might want of course. in an orchard. A guest who I would really like to target for this show is the poet Ross Gay, who writes a lot about his own orchard, the orchard that he works on. Um, and because you know, it's just it's a podcast about growing ideas, and that's what really that's all you can what ask it's all for. about. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of a similar one for for my third one, uh, which is one breath at a time, which is just summing up all of my quests onto the holistic approach of ultimate and the spirituality behind the sport, not just training physically, but mentally and holistically as well. And just, you know, just enjoying that living in the moment and one breath at a time. Too many people these days try to take two breaths at a time or three and, you know, it just, it doesn't work out well. And we could uh, have Grant Lindsley on, just published his book, Mediocre Monk, which is in the mail for me. Can't wait to read that. But yeah, one breath at a time. Let's slow down, take a breath, and enjoy the moment. Johnny, last one. Sweet. Breathe it in, breathe it out. My last one, Rowan, is called One Hold at a Climb. Oh my (laughs) goodness. The play on words. It's a play on words. It's a podcast by climbers for climbers. Now, we produced this one. Good parallel for Ultimate. Yeah, it's a good parallel for Ultimate. There'd be some crossover in the audience. We produced this one because we're not really climbers. We could maybe come on as people who have no idea and then like go on a climbing journey where we like learn. But I think we'd probably have uh, Jamie host this yeah. one. Oh, yeah. Jamie's the big climber uh, who I have a connection to. Uh, we could also maybe get Adam Norbaum on as a guest. He loves climbing. Oh. But there's a lot of climbers in the community. I think Jamie would be a great podcast host, and like that could be hers, and we could uh, we could run the behind the scenes for it. That'd be great. I'd love to listen to those tips. I went one time to a, a climbing gym, and I tried like one route early, and I lost all my grip strength for the next hour and couldn't really climb another route. That's how it goes. So get I got a lot to learn. Those really, really hurting fingers. My poor fingers. And those really, like... Those forearms. really popping forearms, the veins. It's nice. That was a great shenanigans, Ro. Thank you for coming up with it. Next, we're going to move on to some listener questions here. Thank you so much for writing in. We got a fair amount uh, between the Instagram and the email that we'll have to go into. We do appreciate these. It's one of our favorite parts. We go in blind, which is really exciting. So right before, right now, we're just opening up the email and. Yeah, we always love to see him. It's one of the happiest parts of our podcast night. Yeah, let's take a shot. Here's one from Emmett Brazowski, who is an up-and-coming high school player in the area. I saw him at the game on this past Saturday. Also, yeah, also a great youth coach. He's oh, worked with me coach. in the past, and he's fantastic. So. Sweet. Well, we love Emmett. Uh, Emmett says, hey, Rowan and Johnny, we were debating this question at Wall's practice the other day. It spawned a bunch of variants. The original question was, how many players, if they cloned themselves and made a full team, would be able to win club nationals, either in open or women's or whatever, uh, men's or women's? Ooh, good question. Um, yeah, I mean, what do you think? I'd <laughs> say, first intuitive guess, 25. You're saying that would be the number of players they would Yeah, the, the cutoff between the 25th and the 26th best player in the world. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my complete intuitive guess. Um, can you dive in and take it from That's there? interesting. I think, well, when you think about it, like top 25 in each division, um, 
It'd be interesting to think of about mixed, uh, but I think top 25 for each division. I think you might yeah. even be able to go, because I'm thinking like how many good teams are there that are contending, you know, or even not even contending, but even like how many teams are there at nationals. There's probably, I guess there's 20, right? For 16, for 16 for open or for club. Yeah, for club. So let's go with 16. We could probably say like, you know, fourteen of those are like circuit, like all like always good. Or how how many? Like twelve? Uh yeah, ten have a shot. I'm just at thinking winning. in terms of not have a shot, but just like have been on like okay. are consistent sure. like teams making nationals consistent. Yeah. Twelve. Twelve, yeah. And so probably on each of those teams, like in terms of star players, there's probably like two or three. So yeah. I think yeah, like twenty five to thirty, I would say. Yeah. The star player has to be versatile. It's because true. you know, does 26 Jimmy Mickles, dare I say, our podcast friend, win nationals? I think I uh, think so. Yeah, he's pretty good. What about, I, I was thinking a good threat could be 26 Thomas Edmonds. That would be that's a, that That's one. his national championship yeah, team. Yeah, that's a hybrid that, that you So want. yeah, I guess it's not just about the best, but you need some versatility. Obviously, like Dylan Freechild, like does, you know, Chris Kotcher, they do it both sides of the disc. I'm going to come at someone I don't know right now. 26 Misha Frey's daughters? Not so much. What do you think? You think they could? It depends. Are they playing Florida Ultimate? You know, <laughs> That's yeah, true. Yeah, they yeah. could just huck it to themselves. Six of them pretty, in the end zone. That'd be pretty hard to stop. I take yeah. it back, Misha. You'd probably, <laughs> you'd probably do pretty yeah. good. <laughs> so. um, good question, Emmett. That is cool. I'm, going, I'm sticking with 25. Yeah, I'll go 30. And I'm interested. Emmett, let us know how many you all picked. Rowan, clones are on the mind this week because we got another question from our friend Becca Balton. Becca, thank you so much for writing in, which essentially asked, would you guard yourself? And what would that look like in terms of, even if it's the exact same player, their strengths on offense and defense would be different. And how would that work in terms of guarding yourself? Yeah, I I think this is a really good question. And I, I thought about a little bit about if I see Rowan on the line as is right now today and I'm playing defense, I'm like, am I picking that matchup? And I think I would take it. And that's why my one fear would be if he was, if I was, <laughs> if he was in his peak shape. Because when, is it we talk about a third person or first person? You just say Rowan A, Rowan B. When Rowan A is in peak shape, I do not want to guard him because he can go for laps and laps, you know, 430 mile type runner. But if, you know, it's the hamstrings are flaring up or if he's not in postseason shape, I think I would take the matchup and force him deep. What about you? How are you guarding Johnny Mox A? Uh, yeah, for Johnny A, I think I'm definitely taking the matchup. I'm thinking, oh, I got this guy's number. And then he surprised me a little bit. You He's know, a runner. I could Careful. Still, I could still keep him in front of me a little bit, but uh, I think I would be uh, underestimating myself a little bit and maybe uh, surprise myself. Well, let me give you a little tip. I, I picked up you once last in tryouts and then once in breach practice. Very zigzaggy. You're moving a lot. So defensively, you can't sleep. You know, like, oh, I'm just guarding this handler. He's going to be in one spot. But then it's front of the stack, deep cut, under, behind the disc. And you're just like, I did not sign up for, you know, an 800-meter dash. That's the thing. Get ready. 
I look I look like a like a handler. Upline, gotta go flat. If you're catching upline, you gotta steal that. That's true. It's going I, off. I noticed this year too, like even while I've been throwing the hawks, I'm like, hot damn, I'm hawking every time I catch it in power position. Maybe that's something I should change. But you know, Rowan, we're having fun out there, so who's really to say? You're right. Do you but, want to take... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, this was a, a great question from Becca. It was. Thank you so much for writing in, Becca. Ron, you want to take a peek at the Instagram, see if there's anything on there? I will. I will. Okay, Ro, seems like we have a question on the Instagram from Sam Murphy. Sam, thank you so much for DMing us on there. Sam asked, are U.S. club teams more actively recruiting players from abroad, specifically Europe? Uh, Sam noticed that you got players like... Uh, the legendary Walshack playing on Brute Squad. Brute Squad. You got, uh, I guess, uh, uh, our former guest, Connor McHale, friend of the show, going to be playing on Machine this season. We got Ben Ort playing on Breeze and maybe Truck Stop. Ben Ort's teammate from uh, Netherlands blew up on Machine this past year as well. Sweet. So what do you think about this question, Ro? Are, are, are yeah. uh, U.S. teams actively recruiting players from Europe and abroad, or do you think that that's just more of them filtering in because they want to play at the highest level? In my opinion, the talent is absolutely there for top European and other international players to come make a big impact. But the thing that Club Ultimate still, I don't know, doesn't want to talk about is that it's very expensive and you're literally paying to come pay a lot more money to play in two tournaments, maybe three. So yeah, I think that there's some crazy people out there that love the sport like us. But yeah, it just seems like kind of crazy that there's such a big financial burden. Maybe we'll talk about it on an episode. But yeah, like how many people out there want to pay $2,000 to come pay $3,000 to play Ultimate Frisbee when, you know, Europe, they have Europe, European championships every year and they have great indoor beach and grass tournaments. So say $5,000, play there and play the U.S. teams at international tournaments. So, yeah, the talent is there, but the financial barrier of elite club that is something that's very real is something in the back of my mind of why not everybody does it. What about you? Yeah, great point on that question. I think that my answer to Sam's question is probably just... It's it's a mix. Like, I know that... Um, for in our case, Ben Ort like was uh, encouraged to come over by the coaches of the Breeze uh, and like uh, the owner of the Breeze like established a connection for him and got a little internship there. So there's like some reasons why he could have ties to DC. Yeah. Now that said, like he had a strong desire to come play in the U.S. too. So my guess, based on my limited knowledge, is that um, it's a mixture of both. Um, in terms of club, though, I'm fairly certain the majority of them are, or the majority of the players who are coming over and playing U.S. club, like Rowan said, just have a strong desire to do it. Now, tournament. Yeah, now whether or not they're being recruited in the process is another thing. But we have to remember here that recruitment for like club teams is just, hey, we want you to play with us. It's not offering any kind of incentive otherwise. Maybe housing, like, hey, you can crash at our place or whatever. Yeah. Maybe like a temporary job or internship at best, you know? So I think that it's probably a mixture of the two, but we have to remember that this is still all coming from a place of joy and love for the sport. Um, and thank you so much for the question, Sam. Great question. Yeah, and in a nutshell, I, th I think there'll be more international players showing up on pro teams. 
because they can come. Maybe the pro team pays for their travel and also they don't lose any money. So I think that'll be um, a little bit more popular moving forward. Rowan, flying high in the one throw sky today is the book Spirit Foul. It is a book about a fake college ultimate team loaded with small school college nostalgia. Go pick up a copy. It is amazing. You can find it at https colon slash slash therealzsmith.com slash spirit foul spirit dash foul slash. I'll say that one more time. The the text of that website is T-H-E-R-E-A-L-Z-S-M-I-T-H dot com slash S-P-R-S-P-I-R-I-T dash F-O-U-L slash. Big day for the ultimate players writing books today. Take a take a look at both Spirit Fowl and Mediocre Mun. Of course. Shout out. So yeah, shout out to the ultimate players putting in the work and publishing some some really great things. Yeah, thanks so much for contributing to our community and the discourse that exists there. As we know, I love discourse, Rowan. Speaking of the folks who are keeping our discourse going, we've got five Patreon subscribers, members to announce this week. A few of them are mystery people and don't want to be announced, so we'll announce the ones that want to be announced. We got Push Pass. That is our most affordable tier at $1 per podcast. We've got Silas McDermott. Silas, thank you so much for signing up and becoming part of our membership community. We really appreciate it. We've got Tony Veal. Scuba salute. Tony Veal is a scuba. He's a scuba member. Tony, thank you so much for being part of our podcast community. Another scuba member we've got is Kevin C. Kevin C., thank you so much. Um, And then... Our high-release member, author, author of Spirit Foul, we got Zach Smith. Zach, thank you so much for supporting our show. And we hope that we get to shout out more people at the end of the next show. So if you want to support us directly, go ahead and head to patreon.com slash onethrowpod and, you know, give us some some money for for some giggles. We're almost we're almost ready to buy our um, our brand new recording tool. <laughs> what is that called? Focus right. Focus right. Scarlet box. It's a great color. It's amazing, and uh, that'll do it for us today. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we can't wait to see you next time.